what it do, everyone. I am Chris Sinclair, and I am joined by my fellow host, Drew Garrison. We are a couple of self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience reaching all the way back to the days of washing dishes and cleaning pizza ovens, all the way to owning multiple businesses and selling some of the most exclusive brands in the world. Our goal is to walk you through today's most interesting alcohol industry headlines while sipping amazing drinks as we do it. Drew, my man, what are we covering today? Hey, Chris, we have a fun show planned. Uh, we're going to be drinking, of course, on some amazing spirits. Then we're going to talk about the growing trend of sparkling wine, some of the newest offerings from Appleton. I went ahead and got myself certified last week. We're going to talk about that. And, uh, of course, we're going to have our dope follows of the week. But before we get to that, Chris. What are you drinking? I am sipping on some Animas uh, Artisanal Mezcal. Uh, this stuff is lovely. It's new to the collection. Uh, good bottle. Uh, it is dusty. It is uh, it is green. It's it 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 tastes like underbrush, if that makes sense. And I I kind of love it. Uh, it's, it's one of the like two new, or two newer, I guess, uh, lower priced agaves that came into the shop, which is really exciting. And when I came across this, it it was another one of those that I asked sort of like, what's the catch? Like, why is it so inexpensive? It's, it's delicious. And what I'm finding from a lot of these, uh, less expensive, uh, mezcals that are still totally delicious is just because fewer hands touch it. Uh, as it makes it from production to distribution um, and therefore it just it just doesn't cost you know just doesn't cost as much but this is totally delicious uh, it's got dope packaging on it too it's it like represents um, the mescalero uh, uh, offering a sacrifice to Mayawell the the agave god is um, it's it's red what are you drinking drew well, before we get to what I'm drinking, so when you're talking about less hands touching it, now you're not talking about production-wise, but you're talking about like like there's tears involved in terms of someone buying it, reselling it, and all that fun stuff. Am I right? That's right, man. Uh, you know, so it's every time every time it moves from one warehouse or to one truck or or you know what have you, there's there's another level of cost that gets involved in that, you know. Um, and every time that happens, it just it adds more cost to the consumer. Uh, so in this case, um, uh, these guys own the importing rights, so they don't need to go through an importer uh, in order to bringing in order to bring this uh, booze across the border. They already own that, so they're not paying that to someone else. They just they keep that profit their own. Um, and so they're able to offer it at, at a lower price when it hits my shelves. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that I'm starting to learn more and more about when it comes to bringing spirits into the U S and um, especially when it comes to Mexico. Uh, I think with a lot of these different tier systems, you just don't account for it. And you're like, well, how many people really did this have to go through before it got to me? And it gets like very expensive, very quickly. And it kind of blows my mind. And um, one of the things that, you know, we're working on bringing a couple brands up through our import company right now. And the things that we're going to be able to offer people, like we're very excited about because we're going to be able to import it. We made the connection. It wasn't going through um, like a broker or, you know, some other tier just to get us to that people. It's like, no, these are relationships that we've already established. And now we're working on bringing that kind of fun stuff in, which I think is really cool. And, and, you know, and sometimes, you know, but you're still seeing a lot of the opposite, right? Because Mezcal is that growing trend. And, you know, there's even other things that I've seen where you'll get a, you know, pretty standard Espadine offering from Oaxaca, which is definitely the most common Mezcal that we see throughout, throughout the States um, that's done in a copper pot still. And not to take anything away from the artisanship that goes into that, but then when it comes across and you're kind of like, oh, that's $100 wholesale, like what the hell happened? Like how did it get up there that quickly when they're doing these big batches and they're being sold in bulk? 
um, when you have other things, you know, and, and again, it's about finding kind of that happy medium, right? Because then if you go too affordable, like for example, I saw that Trader Joe's had just released another shot at Mezcal and it's $20 on the shelf. You know, I have a lot of questions in that scenario. Like how do you, as, as do I, yeah. I you mean, know? I, I have zero faith that that's, uh, up to my standards of what good mezcal tastes like. Yeah. Right. Like I look at that and I see that cost and I go, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I'm with you. I think, I think you do like ask the, you know, the right question. So the, the one that you have, um, is it, is it from Oaxaca or is it from, uh, or where, where is it? it, it out it's from Oaxaca. Yeah. It's the, it's, it's, it's the, uh, Espadine. Um, so it's their, it's their entry level, if you will, uh, Mark, um, it's, uh, even with that though, this is, you know, not, not a huge batch. Um, this is, uh, bottle number 67 out of, uh, 1,333, um, Mm -hmm. which I, I guess for people, uh, uh, to give them some sort of, reference point to that in in an average whiskey barrel from a single barrel you can get anywhere between oh i'd say 180 approximately to depending if it's like really young and kept where there's just very little angel share to like 300 bottles right right so so it you know, and I mean, there's plus and minus, right? But um, so just so you have some understanding, like if you were to put this many that this many bottles in terms of a case, in terms of a um, a barrel program, like that, it wouldn't be that many barrels that you're talking about to, for making this. Right? Yeah, yeah. Just as a as a reference point, I mean, there's just you know, I, I think sometimes you can hear it like, oh wow, that's a you know a th- over a thousand bottles. It sounds like a lot. It's like not really. You know, not not in comparison to other things. Well, that's really cool. Um, you know, originally I was going to do an agave tonight. But then when you said that you were doing an agave, I was like, oh, man, as much as I love it, as much as I enjoy the one that we had today that I was going to share, I was like, we'll save this for another day because it's completely batshit crazy. And it's great, but we're going to save it for when you don't have an agave. Um, um, no. Oh man, had I known you were going to do that, I would have chosen something else because I was really excited for you to talk about that agave tonight. But it's okay. I'll hold on to my excitement for another day. Well, now I feel like there's extra pressure. Good. Uh, no, we're going to stick with the rum. Um, so tonight we did, uh, me and our, our mutual friend and former podcast guest, Buddy Newby, did a Panama rum tasting. And so uh, had five different expressions. It was super fun. Um, definitely just kind of put me into that gear of drinking Central American rums and enjoying them. And, you know, just kind of have like one of those scenarios where like, you're like, man, there just isn't a bad one in the bunch. And um, so I'm, I've decided to stick with it. But what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm drinking actually a blend of, of three different Central American uh, countries. And that's going to be the, the Ron Izalco. 10. And this is just a really fun expression that I recently um, got introduced to and have been enjoying quite a, quite a bit. And again, another thing that you can find at Good Bottle. And uh, it's just, you know, typically when you're talking about Central American rums and Spanish style rums, it's it's something that kind of builds itself around having like this really easy tasting, approachable rum profile. It's distilled using column um, distillation. And with that usually comes a lighter, easier to drink rum. I think what I like about this one is not only does it have that quality, but because it's a combination of three different distilleries, it does have some layering to it. And then, you know, having a legit age statement of 10 years on each barrel before they're actually blended together is, is really nice. And so I'm sipping on that one now. Um, again, I think if maybe I didn't do my rum tasting tonight, I still would be in that agave mode. But um, it was just, it was really fun. And it was cool to get into kind of the history of Panama and, and stuff like that, which I had never really taken the deep dive on. I mean, with a lot of the the Spanish style rums, and again, when we're talking Spanish style, we're talking about, um, you know, 
the Spaniards coming over to the Caribbean and Central America and colonizing these different places. And so it, when there's, there's some consistency amongst these different countries uh, in terms of their distillation and production of alcohol. And for most of these places, um, the Spaniards actually outlawed alcohol production. And so it wasn't until like the 1800s when you really started to rev up with those countries, which I didn't know until until looking this up. So, yeah, um, they, they I, it's, it's a similar story that you find in a lot of places, especially in Latin America, where uh, that the outlawing of alcohol production was in order for, you know, to profit Spaniards. Right. right. So that way th- their wine, their booze totally. um, uh, was what was making money. But just like anywhere else in the world, at any point in history, you outlaw booze and everybody's pretty much going to go tell you to fuck yourself. Yeah, and and that's a story that you see quite a bit within like the agave world right now where people are like, this was a real outlaw spirit and stuff like that. And I've had a couple of my personal accounts um, regurgitate that to me and they kind of do it with the same enthusiasm that like your typical sales rep will like tell the story with and i'm like well let me tell you why <laughs> this is complete and utter bullshit um <laughs> and it's it's really really interesting and and funny but yeah it's a, it's a big part of of kind of the uh the mythos that these marketing people come up with when it comes to to that and you know none of the things that that we had tonight were were of that caliber in terms of, Oh, this was outlawed. And then they came back. It's like, no, not really. I mean, we did do some Don Poncho, but that's a, you know, that's another side story, which we'll bring up when I actually drink one of his rums. Um, but it was Don Poncho. It was, it was fun. It was a, it was a really good, uh, really good tasting. I really enjoy doing those things. And then, you know, the Ronazalco really kind of ended up being the one that I was like, yeah, I'm going to keep sipping, on this one and um, hopefully people go out and try it and pick it up. Cause it's a really just fun expression, you know, that they're, that they came out with. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I also am a, a fan of the Ron is I really, you know, you and I, you introduced it to me and uh, I really enjoy the layered flavors that are, that are involved in that as well. Cause you think it's going one direction and then all of a sudden you like you swallow or you breathe out and the, the flavor sort of changes again. And then, you do it again and and you get sent for another loop. It's, it, it's a fun experience and it's really tasty. And also you don't need to think about it that hard to enjoy it. But, but if you, the rum also allows you to do that if you want to. Yeah. I think one of the things that, that I found us talking about tonight when we were, you know, cause I think you know, we had a group of around like 15 to I think 15 people, maybe 20. And we kind of kept talking about how, you know, Central American rums and stuff like that were like these gateway rums and they're super easy. And I think we were kind of underselling it. And, you know, to me, even as somebody who drinks a lot of rum and really enjoys it and enjoys having my palate challenged, I I felt like we got to a point where I was like, you know, we're almost like we're saying like they're not good. And that's just not the case. Like these are really well made rums and they're fun to drink. And sometimes, you know, you don't need your your palate to be challenged. You just, you know, sit back and be like, Hey, I can make a cocktail with this or I can just sip on it and it's great. And, um, you know, and again, when it comes to something that is a blend, being able to pick out different, you know, styles throughout it as you're drinking, cause you know, your, your palate becomes more accustomed to it as you're going and you're just kind of like, you're like, Oh, that's where that's a little bit different on the front or this is now I'm starting to get this taste more towards the back. And then as my palate continues to open up, as I drink it, you know, it was just, it was good. It was a fan favorite. So I wanted to keep that going. Um, but you know, now I think it's time to, uh, uh, give you our opinion on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. So our first story tonight is we're talking about the growth of sparkling wine, uh, predominantly out of California, but really kind of in the Western western part of the United States. And this is a category that's seen some pretty significant growth, like up over you know 24% for one situation like Domain Chandon. And we're talking about bottles that are $15 and up and in the seven, $750 uh, size. Um, so with that being the case, Chris, when you hear a story like this, like, oh, 
you know, sparkling wine has really started to grow or even, you know, to a certain extent, champagne outside of that. Why do you think that is? Why do you think more people are drinking sparkling wine than they ever have before? Well, I think in short, because it's delicious, um, which which makes the transition really easy, as as you have recently found out yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I I also would lean towards uh, sort of the, the the youthful phenomenon of drinking and the change in, in consumption for we'll say like the millennial culture. Um, uh, that hurt me just to say that, but I, I have no other way to say that, so I apologize <laughs> to everyone out there. Um, uh, but I think I, I think the younger drinkers now, um, they're looking for experience when they're drinking. You know, they're looking for a pair, a pairing. They're looking for um, uh, uh, something they get to share with friends and family and loved ones. And it's not just you know um, uh, scotch and soda or Crown of Coke or um, you know Sailor Jerry and and Coke. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. A lot of people, just a lot of really people in our age soda, group cocktails. drinks Coke. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so I, I think when, what's really neat about this story is that it signifies a, a change in the consumption culture, um, to people who are looking for flavor and they're looking for something, um, that is both an education and, uh, like a fun a, a fun experience. I, I think that we found um, with, you know, phones being in our pockets and everybody on fucking Facebook and Instagram, but that uh, not only do you get that experience of being able to show people that that's what you had, but, um, but then you, you can also talk about it and say why it was special. Um, and I think that sparkling wines out, outside of uh, outside of, let's say champagne, um, but California, California sparkling wines, which which are pretty much relegated to like, uh, you know, uh, Domaine Chandon, uh, Jay. I, well, I guess Jay is is Oregon. Um, uh, Schramsberg. Schramsberg. Schramsberg is a lo- lovely uh, Champenois, uh, which means is made in the uh, Champagne style. But now we have like pet gnats that are coming out and we have lightly, uh, lightly um, sparkling wines and we have wines that are like force carbonated and we have wines that go through secondary and bottle condition. And so you're finding these different examples of sparkling wine that offer completely different experiences, um, that are being paired with dope foods or just being consumed, you know, on a patio or, you know, on your porch as the sun setting or, you know, on a, during a hot day, you know, like on your, I don't know, in your backyard. Um, I think people are, are really reaching out and experiencing these things rather than just like their Pinot Grigio or their Chardonnay or their, uh, you know, Napa cabs. Yeah. I think there was a, there's a really great quote in this article that talks that's from Rocco Lombardo, who's the president of Wilson Daniels, who has the Schramsberg in it. And, he is quoted as saying, um, you know, in this business over the last 25 years, uh, the sparkling category has become a part of life. These aren't occasion wines anymore. They are wines that people are drinking throughout the week when they're dining. So, and I know I definitely was like, it's like, you know, you had champagne, you know, for celebrations and, and things of that nature. And to your point of all these different styles that people can get, because they're not always going to be overly carbonated or overly sweet. Like there's this really, there's this wide spectrum of taste f- profiles that can be paired a lot easier with kind of your everyday drinking where it, it doesn't have to be like this really special thing. It's just kind of like, no, this tastes really good and we're going to drink it today because it tastes really good, not because we're celebrating anything like that. And that, I think that mindset change from people is I don't need to settle for just a table wine or anything like that. It's like, no, I like champagne. I can get stuff that, you know, and, and again, it's a category that's $15 and up. Like we're not completely breaking the bank here. You know, it's just, it's completely like you're to your point. It's like, it's, it's an experience based thing now that like, okay, cool. I'm 
I'm just having dinner tonight. I'm gonna pop some. I'm gonna pop some sparkling wine because this is what I enjoy drinking. I don't need to save it for this. I'm gonna save it because I just had one hell of a Tuesday or whatever. Uh, uh, you know, the, the story actually just reminded me. I was uh, laughing because our, our our friend Chloe Henry uh, had posted a um, like a screenshot of an interview. Uh, that Brad Pitt was giving about his uh, Miraval sparkling, sparkling champ, um, sparkling rosé, and there was a quote that Chloe had had circled on there that said something along the lines of, of "Well, uh, uh, sparkling brute rosé is not something that a lot of people know about." Uh, so we wanted to focus on it or something to that extent. And she had circled it and she was like, uh, yeah, they fucking do. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was just one of those really wonderful moments where, where obviously, you know, uh, the younger crowd clearly knows about sparkling brute rosé. It's selling well. And we're, as we're talking about it right now, you know, like it's crushing in numbers. Um, but someone in, Brad Pitt's age age group might might not know, and so for him, he still, you know, he still thinks that it's a it's a category that he's educating people about, or you know, um, so that yeah, he sees so in amongst his friends. I pull I pulled it up, and um, for you guys who don't know, some of our there's some tasting note episodes where Chloe and Chris taste through some fun spirits and talk about them and stuff like that. But the end of the quote is, um, but Rose champagne is still relatively unknown. Brad Pitt tells people. And then her quote is just, um, no, it's not. So, uh, um, she was, uh, she was not excited about Brad's interpret, you know, thoughts towards Rose, uh, champagne. And uh, I mean, I, I think, um, as, as you said, I, and more of the more I very recently became an adopter of that same mindset where it's like not just a celebration thing. It's like, Oh, you can just sip on it. And I can tell you that my wife definitely appreciates that, um, that it's not something that we shy away from. It's like, Nope, we're, we're drinking this as much as possible. Yeah. And in our next story, we actually got some pretty exciting stuff. So in in the past, we have talked about how there are some super, super nerdy spirits people out there. And one of the things that they do is they follow the TTB approval um, website. And again, that is when you are bringing a spirit into the US, you have to submit labeling for it. And the TTB, which regulates all of this, it's this government entity, approves the labels and then announces them out like, hey, this person's doing this, this person's doing that. It's like most government information that tends to be available. Um, and our friend, uh, Matt Petrick, who is the cocktail wonk, released some pretty exciting stuff today because he is one of those people who scours the um, TTB website for this stuff. And Appleton Estate will be releasing three new um, 100% pot still rum expressions. Uh, One from 1995, which is going to be a 25-year-old rum. Then they have one from 1994, which will be 26 years. And they have one from 1999, which is 21 years. The interesting thing to me that stood out was these rums are being selected by master blender joy spence who we are both huge fans of and she's just uber uber talented uh, blender for for appleton they actually worked with um la mason and Bellier on this and they actually have a little note from luca gargano on it so they have their own line of um independent bottlings that they do and they work with people from all over the world and they've done some really really beautiful stuff um but I find it confusing because they're not underneath the same umbrella, or at least as far as I know, they're not on the same, the same umbrella, but they do have, um, you know, Appleton is obviously well known as a Jamaican rum, but then La Mason and Bellier are known as these independent bottlers and they came together for this project. So when you saw this announcement today, Chris, what were your first thoughts? I like you, I was confused. I don't, um, uh, 
well, I guess specifically about the Maison Velier, uh, yeah, that that aspect of of this news was shocking to me. Um, and and off off air, I had mentioned to you that like really the only thing that I could come up with is maybe they just like working together, which is fine. Like there's a, there's clearly nothing wrong with that. Yeah, um, and you have two incredibly talented people, both in the same world. Um, so fuck maybe, um, but I, I, I don't really, you know, other than that, I, I, like, I really, I couldn't, maybe somebody else can, can clue us in, um, that maybe there's, there's an aspect to this relationship that we're missing, but, um, I, I'm not upset about it by any means. I mean, right. and especially these, these barrels, I mean, if someone's releasing single barrels and it's, we're talking, uh, we're talking a re- reputable, like legendary rum company like Appleton Estates. Like I am, I'm all for it, man. Like I, I, I'm literally giddy. I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating. I, I really, really am excited to be able to consume some dope barrel selections from an amazing rum brand. Yeah. So it's not, it's not single barrels. It's just like these single year sorry, sorry, ex- bar- expressions, barrel um, picks and expressions. I apologize. That was so a, they're, that was they're actually what they end up being is 12 separate casts that are brought together, but they're all from like the same year. So the yields are only 3000 bottles on, on each expression. Um, and just so we're clear, I think both of our initial reaction was extreme excitement because this is just super cool and fun. And the older stuff that Appleton has released recently, whether it be the 21 or the joy, which was done. um, I want to say, what was that two years ago now, two or three years. That sounds Um, right. And that one was a 25 year old blend um, was one of my all time favorite favorite rum so so something like this is super unique and interesting from them but i'm also just extremely excited like the the luca inclusion is only weird because it's kind of like oh i wonder why they would work with this i guess theoretically competing company um but it could very much so be the point that you're making where it's like no they just they just dig each other and this is something that you know, Luca's gone around and put together all these amazing rums from all these different places that just like, hey, let's throw my stamp of approval on it. I mean, that might that might be the extent of it, right? Is that he just made like they haven't because they haven't quoted on the back of the bottles talking about how cool they are, which I think is hilarious. But they well, are, I mean, yeah. I mean, they might have been doing it while he just happened to like show up and happened to be in Jamaica, <laughs> and they were like, hey, do you want to like? lend some of your skills and help us out and we'll put a quote on the bottle and he was probably like fuck yeah i mean i can yeah. imagine something like that happening right where it just seems like a, a a a fun picture to paint where you just you just happen to show up and you happen to be doing work i mean shit that happens between you and i more than more than often enough but you know we're yeah. in the same city and we're not you know right traveling, traveling across traveling across the world um and then just as like a final note on these uh they're either going to come in at 60 percent or 63 percent abv so you're really getting you know like the the real deal um cast strength expressions here and 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 again i, I actually here's here's the real question for you chris what do you think the suggested retail will be on these uh um yeah you and i were talking about that earlier today um and i i'm kind of with your line of thinking um which which is i I imagine it's probably going to be about 200 bucks um maybe maybe a little bit more maybe a little bit less but probably right around that range um and that's totally worthwhile to me Um, yeah uh uh also to clarify you know like if we're talking about a 25 year rum what we're not we're not saying that every single cast that was selected was 25 years by law the the youngest uh rum in in that um in that blend is the oldest that you're allowed to put on a label so it doesn't average itself out it just it defaults to even if you use like a teaspoon of one year old rum uh, in in a giant batch, like it 
it's still then it would be one year old rum is what you legally allowed to call that. So if they're calling it a 25 year blend, then that's the youngest barrel there. There might be um, some blended 50 year old in there, right? Um, there might be some, some 35, 40 year old in there um, uh, just to like offer it some, whatever, some caramel characteristics or some woody characteristics. Like you, we don't really know, um, but that's what, what makes Joy Spence so freaking amazing at her job is she's able to, she's able to do that and she's able to do it uh, with continuity. Right. Well, and, and, you know, we're also making a lot of assumptions based off the labeling. Um, but I, th- I actually think in this scenario, it, it is going to be all from the same year. Uh, if you just, if you read the back where they're talking about, you know, this is distilled in a forsyth pot still and then aged for 25 years 12 casks of this mark were then blended to create an elegant single mark limited edition collection so i actually think in this scenario where i think in most scenario you would be right but i think in this one and again we're just we're completely basing this off of a ttb you know label yeah we're we're running blind here so (laughs) To, you know, worth making lots of uh, judgments on, but you know, eventually there will be a press release and everything like that, and um, and we'll get like the real nitty gritty details. But the way that I'm interpreting it is that they are all going to be from the same year, uh, which is which is really cool and and fun as well. But again, we could be we could be completely wrong when everything is said and done. But um, at this point, we are just waiting. You know, for for that. Yo. And in our final topic tonight, not really necessarily a uh, story at all, but more of personal conquest. And, uh, you know, as, as we continue to fight the, uh, the pandemic and potentially overall boredom, there are just all kinds of fun things that, you know, you guys can do right now. If you're, if you're in the industry and even if you're outside of the industry, so, for example, last week I actually did the CRT certification that was put together by Patron. And basically what that was was a two-day class where you learned about um, the the regulatory council for tequila known as the CRT. And then you ended up – or you had to take a quiz at the end. And if you pass, then allegedly I'll eventually get a certificate. Um, and then one of the other things that I came across last week, which I thought was really interesting and they're doing a lot of stuff is, um, SOMCON and that's S O M M con, uh, USA. They did a presentation on, you know, a, a region in France and, uh, it was way over the top of my head. Um, I did not understand a whole lot of the conversation that was going on just because they used <laughs> technology and they were doing things that that we've done quite a bit where we don't stop to kind of be like, Hey, let's, let's extend the olive branch to people who might not know what the hell we're talking about. Um, they were all very comfortably in their zone of being like, Hey, there's all these phrases that Drew doesn't understand. So he doesn't really follow the, the conversation, but it was still cool. It was fun to be a part of. And I'm, and I know that we've, we've both been doing different things, but uh, Chris, is there, any certifications that you can think of that other people might want to look into at this point, or maybe that you've done yourself that were like, Hey, that was really cool. People should check that out. Uh, before I get into that, I was really hoping you would go back to using the terms certified, um, because I really want to make a certifiable joke. Um, you just, you couldn't give it to me. I'm sorry. You fucking should be. I am just, so apologetic. It's like, you know, I got to tell you, it was the first, it was the first test I had taken in a bit. So even thinking about being certified now was like really tough. I did think that they allowed you to miss an uncomfortable amount to be considered like a passing score, which was, I think you can miss 13 of them. Out of how like, many? I think it was like a 35 question test, maybe. Oh, wow. So it's like 50% passing rate it might be it might have been 40 questions um but yeah it was it was funny and then i actually found out while i was taking the test that during it um my buddy texted me and he was just like hey man i'm in this i'm in i'm doing the 
the certification as well. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then he ended up scoring better than me. So I don't think he'll ever let me forget that for the rest of my life. So oh, I got that great. going for that's, me. Which yeah, is- that's oftentimes when I take tests with friends, I can't. I can't let them know my score unless it's like better or somewhere near theirs. Yeah. Um, because that shame will live with me forever. Right. Um, right. I, I, okay. So I've taken um, the only certification I, I've taken was through the USBG um, uh, US bartender skilled for, for those who don't know. Um, and it's not their exam, but it's one that they, uh, they promote. And it's the um, the master mixology exam. Um, so I've taken level one of that, uh, which is really focused on spirit production, on cocktail recipes, and um, and uh, and um, let's see, spirit production, cocktail recipes. You talk some wine, you talk some cigars, you even talk a little bit of coffee. Um, uh, so it's sort of all over the board and really comes down to uh, being uh, being a well-versed bartender who can sort of, in theory, set foot behind any sort of bar. Um, there were some aggravating things about it, as there are with like most exams. Um, um, and the hard part is always like unlearning the things that you know to be true or at least like, that you think are true um, and learning, learning their knowledge so at very least you can regurgitate it. But I passed that one with flying colors, so I was I was pretty happy about that. Nice, and you know, for for people at home, I mean, what do you see as the benefits for someone in the industry to do tests and certifications like this, and then even people outside the? Well, I, the I, I'm one of those people who don't think that there's really much benefit to anybody outside of the industry. Um, I think for people outside of the industry, it's it's an ego thing um i think there's amazing amazing uh education opportunities that aren't based towards like academic credentials um and and in fact actually the the court of master psalms encountered that problem um and have recently changed their rules that way you have to be working in the industry in order to get your um I think it's your level two sommelier because so many, so many people were taking the exam um, that it was sort of skewing the outcome for them. Yeah. Um, um, and it was just people, just enthusiasts, which is cool, you know, but I, I, I think really like there's no, there's no point to it because a sommelier apart from being a certified sommelier is it's a profession. It's a job. It's a, it's a, job title it's not just a it's not just a a lapel pin um it's it 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 comes with like work you know of like learning how to run the numbers and learning how to you know it's stocking and taking inventory and and running a floor and you know and um uh you know customer uh outreach and service and what have you so i don't you know, you and I ha- have flirted with taking the W set, which is more based towards um, retail and, and that that knowledge, uh, which you know uh, is great. And I I have uh, I think I've even begun studying for a few others that I just I didn't follow through with because of life. Um, but I am one of those people that's that is. Uh, uh, addicted to the idea of adding more letters behind my name on a business card. So my guess is that as my daughter grows a little bit older and I can find some time to sit down and study, um, I will start taking more of these exams. In fact, all, all of my all of my study material is down at the store right now with the intent of being able to like sit down on slow days and look at them. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I actually feel... I feel the opposite of a view when it comes to like the industry versus your, um, you know, normal citizen going out and doing this stuff. Because I, I've always felt like if, if I can talk to somebody about spirits and whatnot, like I don't need them to show me some sort of verification that they can do that. 
um, because I've had those conversations, like you can say certain things to me and I can immediately identify whether you're like a real enthusiast or if you're just like a marketing speak kind of guy, you know, just feeling a lot of fluff. But I've, but I've always felt that these titles and stuff, they're not for me. They're, they're to convey that importance to a, um, you know, just to a consumer. So if I am hosting a dinner or something like that, the fact that I can say, oh, CRT certified or da da this or that, it's a selling point for me as a person. Oh, now, definitely. 100%. And, like, and, and that's at the very beginning where it's just kind of, you know, before I start to drop the knowledge, like, well, okay, obviously this guy knows what he's talking about. He's saying these different things, but it's kind of like that, that lead into it. Whereas when I see people who are, you know, who don't do this professionally, that are just kind of like, no, I just really want to learn more about this like that gets me jazzed i'm kind of like oh that's really cool that you know you would put this kind of effort into something that doesn't necessarily have like this end game for you it's just kind of like oh i really enjoy tequila i want to know as much as i possibly can about it and then da 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 this um but one of the interesting things about the crt certification is that they actually make you sign a waiver that that doesn't that says like you can't use it to like sell yourself essentially. And there was like all these different um, lines that they laid out for himself, which was kind of disappointing because you're like, well, what am I doing this for? If I can't tell people that I did this. And then um, one of the things is you can't, you can't say anything disparaging about tequila or hundred percent agave tequila. Cause they make that distinction within the CRT. And I thought that was just absolutely hilarious that you have to agree to like not talk shit about things which obviously is going to make my relationship with like Sincoro really difficult <laughs> well, this is where i get confused is like if no one is allowed to know that you have it and you've gone through and you've already done it in theory then what they're saying is that the benefit is having done it and no other benefit right like you have the knowledge yeah so it's not like they could take the knowledge away from you then and if they're taking the title away, it's a title that you can't use. So it, it seems kind of like they shot themselves in the foot a little bit with that one. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there was a few things that kind of happened throughout those two days that was just weird and, and stuff like that. But, you know, you're dealing with kind of like this extension of a government entity that's not really the government, but works very closely with them. It's, um, oh man, it's just... It's uh, it's really weird. So, but it, but it, overall, I I do think things like this, especially for you know a lot of people in our industry who have a little bit more downtime right now, that I would hope at this point they're feeling a little bit more of an itch to get back to doing something. Um, these things exist, and the reason I brought up the the SOMCON was not just to illuminate how much I don't know about French wine, which is I don't. <laughs> But also to kind of be like, that was something that I just came across during our research last week for last week's episode, where I was like, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to sign up for it so I can learn a little bit. And I think I told you this, but so that, so this, this class was the, um, the Cote, Cotes du, du Rhone. I'm probably not saying that right. Cote de Rhone. Cote de Rhone. Cote de Rhone. See, I didn't, I wasn't even doing that right. And it was Cote de Rhone. It takes a village. That was the name of the class. And it had five experts on it. And the woman who started the class hands it over to the moderator. And she's, you know, she's very complimentary of them and all this stuff. And she's really excited for the class. The first thing this guy says is before we move forward, I just want to say it takes a village, not a village. And I was like, I am not in the right place. Like this is not <laughs> going to go well for me. That is, a, that is, an, it, that is a, a very much an in joke for uh, anyone in the wine world. Yeah. So um, it was, it, it, it was, it was intense, but I mean, again, at, at the end of the day, I think there's, I think there's things that I could maybe eventually pull in the future from it where I'd be like, Oh yeah, I think I did learn about that one time. And maybe it's just like, it's in the back of my brain now. And as I start to plant these seeds, as I, you know, go down this, this um, path of, of wine education and stuff like that. And I just encourage anybody who's out there listening, you know, because there's it, you, things are slowly coming back, but even with that being the case, like there's still a lot of downtime and, 
I'm just personally at a point where it's just like, I need to be doing something, you know, I need to be improving my, uh, um, you know, credentials, you know, whatever the case may be, just can, so I can, cause I want to stay in this industry, right. And this industry is being shaken up majorly and, you know, anything that you can do to, to continue that I think is, is worthwhile. Yeah. And, you know, and on, on top of that, um, I think, you know, even though, you know, kudos to you for, for, for sitting through a, a you know, a, a, um, a seminar that you knew nothing about. Right. Um, but even with that, like we all start somewhere, right? And the only way you get better is by, is by listening, learning, repeating, and, you know, over and over and over again. Um, so even if you don't understand a thing, some, at some point in time, you'll be sitting in another wine tasting with me, you know, or you and I will be sitting down talking to Kelly Babineau again, and she'll come up with some of this terminology and be like, oh, that's right. I heard this before. Um, what does that mean again? And then, you know, you'll hear it another two, three times, even if you don't remember that. And eventually it will stick. And that's, that's how we learn anything, right? Is repetition. So, um, I think uh, kudos to you for sitting through that. Um, I, I've watched many things similar to that, not, not that one in particular. So I know how daunting it can be. Um, and how often my eyes glaze over and my mind starts to wander, but, um, uh, it, you know, stuff like that's fairly fascinating to me, especially now that uh, I have I, I've picked up my own wine game uh, for so long. I was I was a spirits guy, but but obviously with opening a store, I couldn't afford to hire a sum uh, right out the gate to to run our wine program. So I had to pick up my own game and it's been it's been an experience and it's been really, really rewarding. That's what I'll say. You know who's dope? Them over there. All right, now it is time for our dope follows of the week. Chris, who do our listeners need to start following? You know what? I am going to do something that you um you bug me a lot about. Oh good. Yeah. That's a and, short list. It's a really uh, short list. I'm gonna I'm gonna take your advice. I'm gonna I'm gonna do some self promotion here, and I'm gonna tell everybody that they need to go on Instagram and they need to go on to Facebook and follow Fluid Concepts on on Facebook and then on Instagram. It is We Are Fluid Concepts. Um, it is the production company that uh, pays for us to uh, to run this uh, wonderful podcast for you all, and we we have a lot of really dope projects coming up and so including uh, uh an amazing tv show with uh with a good friend of ours matt brown uh if uh, i can ever get him to step outside of the kitchen um we've we've got a, a great show that we've written that i'm i'm really excited about and um he and i have been talking about for years as well as uh more stories about the booze industry and another show that i've, I've been working on um that we're slowly editing and putting together um, and and really, the whole point of fluid concepts now has altered into being um, a way to employ uh, out of work industry people. Um, we we stay really creative, and we push people into doing things within their skill set, um, but from a different a different perspective. So uh, we are fluid concepts. It's a it's a great way to stay stay in the loop. And I think it's a, I think it's kind of a fun follow. We do, we do lots of uh, quirky things. What are you following? Well, I'm definitely following fluid concepts because you guys did one, one video in my bar at my house, the leaky tiki bar. That's um, right. So that was, that was really fun. And it, it, it's really great. My, my wife really enjoys your guys' videos because you teach her how to make cocktails so she doesn't have to rely on my shitty cocktails to good for uh, her. That's really smart. It's probably the smartest thing she's ever done without a doubt. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and I'm, I didn't know that you were doing something with Matt Brown. That is one of my favorite people and super talented chef here in Sacramento. He He's a mad fucking genius. Um, he, he really is. He pulls things out of, out of thin air that you're just, it's confusing, but 
amazing all at the same time. So very, very, very much so. Um, so this week I actually didn't go with a booze related one, but one that was brought to my attention by a booze friend and it's, um, overheard.washingtonDC and basically it's an Instagram account that just, but basically what they do is like, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's just overheard conversations and, um, Obviously, there's a there's a huge political spin to it with it being in Washington, D.C. And if you need something to laugh at in this shit show of a situation that we're currently living in, it is so funny. And there are so many quotes and things in there that, you know, there's there's really no context ever, but they just will always make you laugh. So, again, mine not booze related, but definitely something that I think everybody needs a little bit of laughter in their life, but it's their Instagram account overheard dot washington dc that's that is uh that's my follow for the week good model podcast is a production of fluid concepts edited and researched by these two guys Music is by two talented brothers of moderate handsomeness, Liam and Chase Moore. Before we go kill these bottles that we've been drinking, we ask that if you've enjoyed this this episode, please smash that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review because, you know, obviously. You can also, you know, find us on find us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram, which is the Good Bottle Podcast. If you would like for us to cover a story or if you are affiliated with a brand that wants to be featured, please email us at the good bottle podcast at gmail.com because we definitely check that. I was actually thinking about that today and how often I don't check it. And I was like, we have so many emails that I don't know. <laughs> we could and be then, so famous right now. <laughs> yeah. And then I proceeded to not check it, but I'm going to check it after this episode. Um, and, as a, and as a reminder, uh, if you guys are interested in buying any of the bottles that we drink on tonight's episode, head over to goodbottlesack.com and you can buy any of the bottles there. Goodbottleshop.com. Good is it Good Bottle Shop or Good Bottle Sack? Because you give me good a different bo- answer every time. Goodbottleshop.com is our website. Good Bottle Sack is the uh, is the online uh, the uh, the uh, social media. Well, if you go, if you type in both, you're going to find it eventually. And there's there's all kinds of really great things on there. And um, some fun stuff, some weird bottles, some starter bottles, uh, which are small format, which I think is super clever. So good for you, Chris, on that one. And uh, until next time. Cheers, buddy. Cheers to you, friend. (laughs) 